0: Welcome to the Way Family Church Sermon Podcast. We are glad you're here with us. Join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at Laffer Middle School in Tucson, Arizona. Today is actually part two of uh, God in the Details. Last week we had seen that Mordecai had been in the right place at the right time. Amen. And he was able to discover a plot for destruction against the king, King Xerxes, or king Ahasuerus as our translation states now, having done what was good he did the right thing Mordecai makes the king aware of the plot against him and he does it by means of Esther now it turns out that the plot against the king was legitimate and he would assume that Mordecai's and you would assume that Mordecai's noble actions was actually worthy of reward or recognition i think that Someone who goes out in lengths and serves the king as far as protecting his life from any kind of harm and danger is, I think, worthy of any kind of recognition or reward. However, Mordecai receives no such thing. As far as we can see from this section of scripture, Mordecai is not extended the recognition that we would say he was due perhaps or was deserving of after saving the king's life. Instead, a note was made in the king's book of the Chronicles in life went on seemingly, though, in the wrong direction. Now again, it was just practice. For any kind of situation that occurred around the king's life to be documented in the Chronicles of the Kings. In other words, the happenings of the kings. And so this was documented, but other than that, nothing else happened. In fact, as I mentioned, it seems like something worse happened. For sometimes, I think we talked about this last week, doing the right thing uh, does not result in immediate recognition or reward. In fact, that sometimes makes life more challenging. Have you ever experienced such a thing where you do the right thing and instead of instant relief, or instant gratification, recognition, reward, you get in trouble, or at least it feels like you're getting in trouble, right? But make no mistake, God is in the details. And so this is part two of last week. God's still in the details. He's still in control of the little things that sometimes we don't consider. You know, the little things that sometimes are not perceivable to the naked eye. God's working in the background and he's constantly doing it, never ceasing. This is what God does. Now we would have anticipated again uh, that there was reward, but what happened next? Let's find out. Uh, Esther chapter three, read along with me. It says this. Now after these things, which is the rescue or pretty much the discovery of the plot against the king. After these things, King Ahasuerus or King Xerxes promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress against the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Now in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast purr, that is, they cast lots before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they don't keep the king's laws." So that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business so that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and he gave it to Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. As we read this, we ask that you would reveal to us the message behind this, the purpose, Father, for us to take and apply it to our lives, Lord Jesus. We know that all your word is profitable for upbuilding, Lord Jesus, for encouragement, for rebuke, for correction, for everything that we need, Father. And so we ask that you would speak to us today through this passage, through these examples, these characters that we see here in Esther chapter 3. Thank you for the honor and privilege that it is to be here together in your name. Amen. All right, got in the details again. No reward as anticipated. In fact, someone else gets promoted The opposite thing occurs. Rather than honoring Mordecai, you see this person named Haman who is honored, yes? Uh, And as a result of Haman being honored, actually Mordecai is dishonored. Have you ever felt like you were dishonored because someone else got promoted? And someone that perhaps you felt like, I don't know if that person was the right decision. And, And in your heart, you're thinking, I should have been the one, right? Or someone else for that matter. But sometimes we are dishonored because someone else has honored it, and so we feel that way. And is it is it right? Is it good? That's the question that we'll probably answer today. But again, instead of Mordecai being honored, the opposite happens, and. Instead of him being recognized and promoted, Haman was. Now, I'll tell you this, Haman was completely oblivious to the significance of all these details that were happening in the background. I'm pretty sure that Haman wasn't thinking through every single moment, every single detail, every single happening that would happen, right? But God is in the details. And so that's what we're going to see as we continue to unpack this passage. But first, let's talk about Haman. Who is this guy? I'll probably say Haman every once in a while because it seems to come out that way. Haman, who is this guy? Verse 1 of chapter 3 describes him as Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha. Now, these are very important details that we should observe and we must consider. Let's get to know this guy so that we understand the weight of who he is and why this is such a dishonor for Mordecai that Haman would be uh, promoted. Now, this Agagite, this Haman, is elevated to being second in command to the Persian Empire. That's a really, really high status. That's equivalent to Joseph's position with the Pharaoh back when he was elevated, right? Now, this is not a good thing if you're uh, a Jew. In fact, the fact that he's an Agagite is not a small detail. This is very significant, especially if you were a Jew. For an Agagite was a descendant of Agag, you would assume, right? The king of the Amalekites, that's who Agag was. He was an enemy of Israel whom Saul had failed to kill as as commanded by the Lord back in uh, 1 Samuel. But not to worry, Samuel, the prophet of the king, did what Saul couldn't do. He took care of that. He cut Agag, the enemy of Israel. In fact, let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 8 through 9. Now after Saul, who was king at the time, was victorious over the Amalekites, it reads this. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, as it actually was commanded by the Lord. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. So this was a deliberate disobedience, or at least, at least a deliberate deliberate act of disobedience on behalf of Saul. And this essentially angers the Lord. Well, It grieves the Lord when we're disobedient to Him. Now Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, and also acting judge, actually, prior to uh, uh, King Saul's uh, crowning uh, anointing as kings Samuel understood that this is not a right thing he was this was a wrong thing for you to have spared the enemy of the Jews Agag. And so what happens is he's also angered with Saul and he takes the sword and he goes and he cuts down Agag. He does what should have been done in the first place. Now, Agag was dealt with harshly. If you consider the passage here, if you go and look at it on your own, Agag was sentenced to death because he was a ruthless enemy of Israel. In fact, if you look at the description of how he managed things and how he treated Israel, you would say this guy is entirely inhumane. And so the, door, the, the Lord dealt severely with Agag. And this was the instruction in which Saul would not actually go forward with. Now, this is maybe helpful in us considering who Agag was or how he was perceived or the, the kind of enemy that he was to the Jews. Now, have you guys heard of a warlord, let's call him, named Adolf Hitler? If you haven't, you will one day. You'll learn of him. He despised the Jews and he sought to kill them. He had A hatred for them like no other. In fact, we look back in history and we wonder, how can such a person do such a thing? We would not hesitate to call him an evil man, would we? Agag was like this, and so was Haman. He was very similar to what we know today like Adolf Hitler. But there's a problem, in fact. There shouldn't be any remaining descendants of Agag. I don't know if you guys read your Bibles enough, but I came across a passage in 1 Chronicles, made me think, wait a minute, there should be no Agagites right now. Let me show you First Chronicles chapter 4, 42 through 43. And some of them, 500 men of the Simeonites, went to Mount Seir, and they defeated the remnant of the Amalekites who had escaped. And so the Simeonites were one of the 12 tribes who had actually dealt severely with the Amalekites. Therefore, any descendant of Agag should have been destroyed. According to this passage, they were destroyed. So therefore, Haman could not have been an actual descendant of Agag. And I'm going to be honest with you, for the longest time, I thought that he was. I thought that he was a consequence of Saul not dealing severely with Agag right away. But that's not actually what this passage is implying. And it blew my brains when I realized what's going on here. Agagite was actually a derogatory title used on those who were true open enemies of Israel's or of, of the Jews, of the Jewish race. Racist against the Jew, if you would. It is equivalent to the word Nazi today. If someone hates the Jews, you call them a Nazi. Now that person does not have to necessarily be affiliated with the Nazi Nazi political party, right? Nor do they have to be affiliated uh, racially with Germany or anything in that region. You're just a hater of the Jews, therefore you can kind of label that person a Nazi. It was in that regard that Haman was labeled an Agagite. Now look at this, Haman the Agagite was honored above all. And consequently, it is by default a dishonoring, a threat, if you would, to anyone who is a Jew. Do you see this? Do you see the severity or the importance of understanding who Haman is and why this is a problem for anyone who would be a Jew? But God is sovereign over honor and dishonor. And so Haman was honored by default. Mordecai is dishonored, right? God is sovereign over that. God is in control over all of these things of who gets promoted, who doesn't, and all that good stuff because he's in the details. Let's continue in verse 2 of our passage. It says, And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Let's see that again. But Mordecai did not do what he was supposed to do. Now, we just last week talked about doing the right thing. So this is where it gets a little bit conflicting, this is hard, what is the right thing? Sometimes, in some circumstances, it is very difficult to determine what the right thing is, right? Would you agree with that? Now, Mordecai clearly had a problem with Haman, and this is understandable. If you understand what he knew and who Haman was, for sure, hey, uh, Mordecai, we feel you. But here's the thing, regardless of his personal convictions or anybody's personal convictions for that matter, Xerxes, who was the king of Persia, who was the authority placed around uh, over those people, commanded all to honor Haman. Now, this is similar to chapter one, where he forced wives to submit to their husbands, right? And to, and to, and to uh, be uh, uh, submissive to their commands. But Mordecai refused to bow down to him. Now, what do we know of Mordecai? We know Mordecai to be an ups- uh, to be. As to be an upstanding man, and so the fact that he would not bow down to Haman was a big deal. This was significant enough for him to walk through whatever consequence followed, and so we don't need to understand that uh, that certain certain commands we actually need to break, right? So long as they first and foremost honor the Lord and not man, and so long as you're not dishonoring the Lord in doing that what you're doing. in in this case, Mordecai is not going to bow down to Haman. He's going to refuse to do this. Now, the exact reasoning behind Mordecai's actions are not indicated as far as I can see. He doesn't say his exact reasonings for why he wouldn't bow down to him. But I think it's safe to say uh, that in this particular case, Mordecai's convictions were strong against Haman. In other words, he's like, yeah, I'm willing to do anything for the king, really. I know my faith. I know where I stand. But this right here." this I just can't do. Have you ever had those situations where just like, this is where I draw the line. I cannot in good conscience do this. And so he draws the line, Mordecai's refusal to honor Haman. Here's the thing though, was not a loud display of disapproval or protest. And we need to document, we need to make note of that for it was clearly unnoticed by Haman. Let me show you verse three to four. It says this, the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress against the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And so Mordecai didn't even realize that he was told by these people who were with uh, Mordecai. I'm sorry, Haman didn't realize and he was told by the people who were more with Mordecai that Haman was being disobedient by this. Uh, and Mordecai's explanations was simply that he was a Jew. Now, this is interesting. To me, this is an indication of a couple of things. One, uh, Agagites, or anyone who's considered one, is a clear enemy of the Jews. And so therefore, the Agagites are enemies, uh, and vice versa, if you you see what I'm trying to say. Um, It also seems that Mordecai's declaration of being a Jew perhaps was a surprise to them, as far as I can see there. Now, remember, Mordecai had instructed Esther to keep her heritage down in in the down low, right? And so it's very like, likely that Mordecai was maybe doing the same thing until now. Maybe he was hiding his Jewish ident- identity until now, I'm not sure. But well, from what I read here, it seems like it was kind of surprising, like really, you're not going to bow down then because you're a Jew? And so it says that they take it to Haman to see whether or not his words actually stand. Which is really interesting to me. Now it's almost like they're going to test uh, Mordecai in his words by letting Haman know that this guy was in fact a Jew. Now. If that's the reason, true reason, and if Haman is a true hater of the Jews, this is a huge threat for Mordecai. So I'm pretty sure that he thought this long and through before he said such a statement, for this would put him into any some kind of danger, I would imagine. And so they tried convincing Mordecai to comply, but Mordecai wouldn't. He said, this is where I draw the line. I cannot do that. And therefore, in order to see whether this was true about Mordecai against, they let, they let Haman know. And they tell him that uh Mordecai is not willing to bow down or honor uh Haman verse 5 says this and then when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him Haman was filled with fury he got so angry now this is a clear sign of disrespect towards Haman and Haman felt it right he didn't realize it before but when he did he felt really disrespected. And so instead of reasoning, this is, this is where I think Haman gets a little bit outrageous or actually a lot outrageous, instead of reasoning directly uh, with Mordecai or confronting him about his actions, Haman's rage wouldn't be sufficiently satisfied if he just dealt with Mordecai. In fact, what he wanted to do, once he found out that Mordecai was a Jew, is he's like, I just want them all dead. This is outrageous. This is a radical response. He had a problem with Mordecai, but that wasn't enough for him to just bring justice over him, let's say, if that's even justice. He wanted to eradicate every single Jew. This is awful. This is bad. But this is also very consistent with the history and the story of the Jews. And so, verse 6, it says, but he disdained, at least in his eyes. That's what the original Hebrew language tells us. In his eyes he disdained, but in his heart he still wanted to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So... As they made known to him, the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy, meaning to uh, obliterate, to annihilate all the Jews, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Now, Haman's disgusting level of self-honor, consider this, combined with his radical hatred for Mordecai and the Jews, resulted in a plan for a total genocide of the Jewish people. Only this would satisfy his anger towards Mordecai. Now I want you to see how God is moving behind these details, these small details. Okay, now he used Mordecai's compliance towards Xerxes and his complaint towards Haman. So Mordecai is complying to Xerxes, but he's complaining against Haman to put things into motion to ultimately accomplish his divine plan. So all of this is important. God is in these details. He used both Haman's desire to be honored and Mordecai's refusal refusal to honor Haman to advance his purposes. Now let's consider this, because I think this is absolutely something noteworthy and something to consider and self-examine. Ask yourself this, am I like Haman? Am I seeking my own honor? Do I have those tendencies? Or am I like Mordecai, withholding honor where it may be due? Consider that. And this is something that I think is very in- instructive for us, and so let's, let's ask that first question. Are we like Haman? Do we get angry when we're not recognized for the greatness that we perceive ourselves to be? And sometimes we do think ourselves as being pretty awesome and we want people to recognize that. We talked a little bit about that last week, right? Do we seek to be honored to the degree that it would actually harm someone else? Would it hurt someone else if it meant your honoring? We have to think about this. Now let me give you a personal example, and I've recently shared this for the first time because it's quite embarrassing. And I told my wife that I would share it with you, and she was shocked that I would actually consider sharing this with you. But have mercy and grace with me, because this is the old me before (laughs) the Lord has sanctified me, right? Okay, when Sandy and I were beginning to talk, we showed interest in one another. Um, I sat her down at a restaurant, and I told her this. And I am ashamed of this. I told her, if anyone better comes along, I'll probably go for it. Because, because I think that I deserve better. I think that I've worked hard my whole life. And I think that I just, I just do. OK, the fact that she even spoke to me after that is a miracle. <laughs> I know, I'm getting looks like, how could you? Brothers, I don't know how I could have done. I, I, I don't know. Like that, that was the Haman in me, you know? Looking for honor, like thinking of myself as someone that I was far from. We do this. And, and quite honestly, that's probably the ugliest example I have to share with you. And I did it against my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time. But God knew what he was doing. He was in the details. Because I promise you. Through moments like that, he has humbled me to the degree where I dare not boast about myself at all. Not at all, because I have no idea what good is even sometimes. You know, here I am saying if there's something better, not realizing that the best was in front of me. You know what, how blind we are. (laughs) And so are we like Haman? Do we seek self-honor to the degree that we're even willing to hurt someone else? Do you know how she would have felt She's told me. That was, she doesn't know why she talked to me ever again. You know, I think it's just the grace of God that we're even (laughs) friends (laughs) after the things that I have said to her. But here's the thing we need to consider this, and I think this is important to advance this point. Ask yourself now this Are we more offended when we are dishonored than we are when God is dishonored? Like, do we really think so high of ourselves that we don't even regard the things that honor or dishonor the Lord? You know, because that, me, that example, God, God was not in my mind in that moment. Otherwise, I would have thought things through, right? I was thinking of myself above all. And so when we do anything, especially in these days, there's a lot of things that we just can't. We, there's lines that we just shouldn't cross, and we know that. But the question is, are we more offended when we're dishonored, when we're disrespected, than when the Lord is dishonored? We really need to think through that. Are we like much of those described in John chapter 12, verse 42? People who were more concerned about fitting in, about being liked, about having their own, right? That they were willing to suppress their faith. They were willing to suppress the truth. And unfortunately, I see that a lot today in people. It says this in John 12, 42, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I want you to consider the glory that comes from God. It does not even compare to anything that comes from man. But we're so blinded sometimes because we think that we want that, we fit that, right? And and that we are deserving of that. Well, the fact is you probably are. But it's nothing. It means nothing compared to the glory of God. You are truly deserving of nothing. And so the fact that we have the Lord's grace, the fact that he's even willing to share that glory with us is amazing. That is an incredible honor. And so are we more concerned about fitting in with men or the glory that comes from God? But again, aren't there situations you you might be wondering where I am supposed to be honored? Because I'm talking about how we sometimes crave self-honor. But how, how about when, like, I think I am supposed to be honored? Well, yeah, there's situations like that. But it's not because you deserve such honor. But rather because the Lord is honored by it. So, again, everything needs to point to the Lord. Does it honor the Lord first and foremost? I'll give you an example for why you should be honored. Parents, Exodus 20, verse 12 says this. Children, listen. It says... Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God has given you. And so parents are to be honored. And so parents, you can expect to be honored. And you should expect to be honored in this case. Why? Because it honors the Lord. Children, we must honor our parents because it honors the Lord. For if we dishonor our parents, we're dishonoring the Lord. Do you see that? And so there are certain situations where we must honor Honor those who are in authority in fact the Bible talks about that New Testament is filled with that that the Lord has placed those who are in authority and we must honor them that is a command and so if we don't do it we by default dishonor the Lord but what if they're terrible what if I just can't do it I just draw the line well there's a right way to say no and there's a wrong way to do it but in all things we must honor the Lord first and foremost okay but here's the thing, if you're a parent, again, your children must honor you. That is, is that's essential, absolutely essential. There's no brainer. And I lost my place, so give me one second. Yes. <clears throat> Parents, if your children don't honor you though, that does not give you license to just immediately get angry over their disrespect. It's an opportunity for us to learn and to grow because the fact of the matter is that our children don't always honor us. And so, like Haman, we get livid, we get angry, and sometimes we flip a lid, don't we? Here's the thing, here's some facts. Children are imitators, and they respond to us more than we know. Children are watching us, and therefore, let's self-evaluate as parents. This is not to give the excuse that children shouldn't honor us by any reason or any means, but this is for us to have the opportunity to help them do that, because after all, we're responsible for that, amen? So we can ask ourselves, am I acting honorably? Am I being a good example for them to know what it looks like to honor anybody? Am I setting a good example, again, in my speech, conduct, love, in faith, in purity? You can ask yourself, do I honor my parents if they're still around? Did I honor my parents? Do I honor those in authority? Do I honor laws? Do I honor the rules that are even set on me? Because if you don't, how can you expect your kids to honor you if you're the authority and if you're the law right and so this is an opportunity for self evaluation right and if not here's the thing if 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 we don't self evaluate or if we're not setting the example we need to start now we have no reason to expect honor for in the purpose of example if we're not setting it and that's a huge point of importance because we need to anticipate being honored from our kids and so there's no excuse you have to set the example so that they would honor you for that is honoring to the lord you see that first timothy 4 11 through 12 says this command and teach these things let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech in conduct in love in faith in purity set the believers an example now this is now beyond parents This is all of us we need to set one another an example we should not tempt anyone into sin ever right and it could be as small as as disregarding even a stop sign if you're influencing anybody to be a lawbreaker we need to watch ourselves because the lord deals with that very severely now this is this is true god's in the details and sometimes we don't mind them the details are important We need to understand how we need to be an example, how we shouldn't just expect honor, but we should also teach those who are around us, especially those in the faith, to honor. And we do that by example. Because parenting is not just about rules and laws, it's an example. It's first and foremost a display of our love for the Lord. That's why we parent the way that we should. That's why we set rules, because we love the Lord, because we want order, because the Lord is a God of order. We cannot expect our rules, however, or the law to do what only grace can accomplish. And so if we set rules up, we can't expect those to keep everything in control. But we do need to expect everyone to follow the rule because you are first and foremost the example of that okay but it is ultimately the Lord's grace that does the work it is his grace it is his love it is compassion over us that shapes the child to be who that person needs to be amen look at this Xerxes commanded that Haman be honored his character and his conduct I promise you it probably wasn't worth honoring though I'm pretty sure of it I just I just have a feeling Uh, his character and conduct probably never earned anybody's respect but the 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 king decided hey we're going to make a command everyone should honor you but here's the thing having to make someone honor you is not necessarily helpful showing them that they should honor you is helpful and you do that by being honorful or honoring sorry i'm making up words first and foremost now parents our confidence should not be and all the rules that we set up, it should totally be on the Lord. But our kids if our kids are withholding honor from us, obviously we need to keep praying and asking the Lord to give us the strength to deal with it in a way that's honoring to him. We need to keep presenting the gospel to them, and we need to point them to Christ. And again, we need to set that example. We need to show them what it looks like to be honoring or to honor someone. And God will do the rest. And so are we like Haman? Are we seeking our own self-honor without actually doing what we have to do to earn it, to deserve it, let's say, or to uh, uh, emulate it so that those behind us can also learn how to do that? Are we like Haman? Are we just wanting what we feel like we are due, Or are we like Mordecai? Are we withholding honor? And if so, what is the reason? Is there a right reason for that? Or is there a wrong reason for that? Now, Paul, Peter, even Jesus calls us to give honor where honor is due. In fact, you read in Romans chapter three, verse 17, where Paul instructs us to pay respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Romans 12, 10, we are to outdo one another in showing honor. So do not withhold honor where it is due. Here's some examples. Husbands, honor your wives. Doesn't matter, nothing else matters in that regard. Honor your wives, why? So that your prayers would not be hindered. Here's some harder ones, are you ready for these? These are the heavy ones. We must honor the emperor. What does that mean? Our leaders, our president. How many of us are guilty of dishonoring our president today? The, The Lord commands us to honor the emperor. He also says, honor everyone. This is according to 1 Peter 2.17. This is tough. This is a, a pretty heavy pill to swallow, if you ask me. But here's the thing, though. Are we actively withholding honor from anyone where honor is due? We need to think that was Mordecai wrong for dishonoring Haman. I don't think that he was. And I want to show you why. And I want to show you why this example is so important. Haman was not flamboyant about his dishonor. I'm sorry, Mordecai was not flamboyant about his dishonor towards Haman. In fact, he did it quietly. He disagreed with that. He drew the line, he said, I just can't go there. At no point did he call it upon anyone else to riot against Haman. At no point did he try to convince everyone else to hate Haman. His answer was simply, that's against my convictions, I'm a Jew, that's it. And that's the way we can respectfully disagree with someone that we don't agree with. For example i'll just give the example of the president because i know a lot of people aren't happy with the president we don't have to say oh we honor the president we don't have to bow to that right but at the same time we don't need to say anything to dishonor the president that is actually a call to the christian see the christians held to a higher standard instead we pray for them and we respectfully just disagree and if we have something to say we do it in a way that honors the lord first and foremost there's a right way to not show respect where you just can't show that sense of the respect. But honor is due where honor is due. If there's a person who sent a, an authority over you, you're, they're due their honor. That's what the, the, the Bible tells us to do. In fact, it tells us to outdo one another in honor. In fact, this is a hard thing for us to do. We have to learn how to do it well. We have to learn how to do it in a way that above all honors the Lord. We have to be able to say, no, I can't go there. But I respect you. You know, I still, in the name of Jesus, I wish you well, or whatever it may be. You, do you understand what I'm trying to say? There's a right way to rebel, and there are certain things that we do need to rebel against. Like Mordecai's a beautiful example. There's no way I can bow to that, there's no way that I can accept that. That's wrong. That grieves the lord this is a threat to the people of of god and so he was rightful in in rebelling against this but the way that he does it the manner in which he does it i believe is truly honoring to the lord all right where haman didn't even realize it unless or until someone else told him about it you see that now again christ has leveled leveled us up and this is interesting this is good he has secured our salvation so we don't have to earn it anymore. We don't have to do anything to maintain it anymore. And we don't have to try to save ourselves. It is finished is what Christ said. But he also raised this standard for our life of the believer especially. And so you're expected to do the right thing and to honor God always and to honor the words that he has said. This is something that the Lord has called us to. Otherwise, how will anyone know that we are different? How can we bear witness of the things that Christ has done? How can we live a life worthy of the Gospel? We do it first and foremost by understanding the will of the Lord and honoring Him in all things. God will use us regardless of what we know or don't know. So if you know little, use that little to honor the Lord. If you know much, much is going to be expected from you to honor the Lord. But in everything that you do, and just remember this, do not seek self-honor and do not withhold it from someone who is actually due. And in all things, honor God. I I hope that we're understanding. I hope it's hitting you the way that it hit me as I was studying and really digging into this. Here's another thing, God is so sovereign over honor and dishonor. And he's also sovereign over time and circumstances. And if we read uh, verse 7 here, In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast per. That means they cast lots before Haman, day after day. And they cast it month after month until the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Now here's what's interesting, they cast lots. What does this mean? You're probably wondering why, why were they casting lots? This was, a, this was common in that day, in fact. Even for the Old Testament. And the Israelites would also cast lots to determine God's will, God's divine will. Other cultures would do it just to determine a divine will. And so, what Haman was doing is trying to figure out okay, when am I actually going to go forward and killing the Jews? this is what I want to do to do. And and it says that it was about a year. (laughs) He cast lots about a year trying to determine when the right time was. And what would have happened in that year? Esther's relationship with Ahasuerus would have developed more. Mordecai's position as an official would have developed more. And so I think that God was truly in the details and time and circumstances there. But then the right time, quote unquote, happens. And the specific day is given to execute the plan to annihilate the Jews. And he did this for a while again. He cast lots for a while. And so it was the time for him to go forward with it. Verse 8 says, Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those uh, of every other people. And they do not keep the king's laws so that the king, so that it is to the, the, to the king's prophet to not to tolerate them. Excuse me. Ugh. Now notice the intentionality in the vague reference to the Jews here. Do You see how uh, Haman is being crafty with the way that he's putting things together. He's presenting something to Xerxes in a way where it's actually very interesting, where, yes, I agree with what you're saying. If there's someone who's not following the king's rules or laws, and if they have their own thing, and if it's not uh, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of a benefit for me to have these, yeah, go ahead, Haman, do what you need to do. But I think that the intentionality with that vague reference means a lot. And with that, of course, again, the king would say, yeah, do it. But this was a lie. And this is the way that Satan works. And we need to be very careful about what's going on here. Satan will often twist the truth or will be vague about the things. And they'll have you assume things or believe things that are not actually so. All right? This is actually how Eve was deceived. Very vague, very unclear about uh, just what he was actually saying. And so... We continue reading in verse 9. I want to advance here. If it please the king, he said, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's businesses, so that they may put it in the king's treasuries. Continues so that the so the king then took his signet ring from the hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite the son of Hamadatha. Look at how he's described the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you the people also to do with them as it seems good to you. Xerxes does the unimaginable. He gives uh, full authority to Haman and the resources for him to pursue his supposed enemies there at that time. And so he essentially does what. Uh, the Pharisees did with Saul of Tarsus, right? They gave him the resource, they gave him the finances, go and get rid of these people. That's essentially the thing. This is a a death threat against the Jews. And you were thinking, like, how can this be? If you're a Jew, you're probably wondering, you, you didn't know at this time, but you're probably wondering, how could this even be? This is the worst thing that could ever happen. And so as a result of the decree was made against the Jews, and letters were sent to all the provinces of Persia, This is an absolute death sentence and then verse 12 through 15 says this, the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day and so there's this huge commotion here, right? Everything's moved forward the first month and then an edict according to all that Haman was commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples to every province in its own script, in every people, in its own language. In other words, make no mistake, everyone will know exactly what this rule is, this law is, this command is. And it was written in the name of King Ahasuerus because he had given him the signet ring to Haman and he sealed it with that ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, And this is the day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. And to plunder their goods, a copy of that document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king because the signet ring was on Haman and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. Here's the thing, though. If a law was passed by the king, it was unrefutable. Do you remember that? We talked about that early in chapter one, I think. If the the king of Persia passed the law, there's no going back on it. Even if it's an inconvenience to the king himself. You can't go back on it. It is done. It is sealed in stone. The only way to counter it is to get creative and try to amend it by doing something different. That is it. And so this is a final decision. This is definitely a death sentence to the Jews as far as what we can see. But let me just remind you that God is in the details and he's working in the background and nothing is too far fetched for him. And so even when we think that the situation is hopeless or we're running into the dark and things are just just at the waterfall right there, it's over for us. God's still working. He's still moving. He's still doing what only God does. He's working all things for the good of those who love him and for his glory. And he will not be dishonored. God is going to move, and he's going to move in mighty ways. And so, uh, again, a certain death sentence. Here's something I'd like to note. You know, Satan is very much like what Haman did there. Haman was even willing to offer money. He says, 10,000 pieces of silver. That's, that's a lot, actually. I'll give you this to put into your treasuries. Just let me kill them. You know, Satan works that way. He's willing to invest in the destruction of God's people. And he's really ready and and immediately uh, going to respond in all things in that way. And he will willingly and readily purchase your death. Your death is worth it to Satan. And he will do whatever he can to see that you die. Spiritually, physically, in whatever way. Satan wants you out. 30 pieces of silver? Sure, here it is. Give me him. You see how he's willing and quickly ready to just pay for your destruction. But God, and look at this beautiful contrast, but God uses Christ's death to purchase life. It is through death that we have life eternal. And this is, again, only something that God can do through Jesus Christ. We need to not make little of that. There is no greater price that has been paid for our lives, and it has been paid in full. That is great news. This, the devil wants death to come, but even through that death, God gives us life, life everlasting. God is awesome. That's something that only He can accomplish. God will not stop from protecting His people. That's a promise. He will never stop from preserving us. He will do whatever He will do with you or without you. And, and that's just a fact because He is not limited by anything or anybody. Now, we have been grafted into the body of Christ, and we are not part of the kingdom of God. Therefore, I think that we should assume some responsibility as heirs of the the king. If we are part of that kingdom, we will respond according to that kingdom, right? And so we do have a responsibility. I don't think it's prudent for us to just step back and do nothing either. Just because we're trying to be honoring doesn't mean that we're not going to do anything. But we just need to do it in a way that's honoring to the Lord. And that's where the, the, the incredible task comes in hand. And this is the father's, take heed of this, the father's instructions to his children, the Lord's instructions to us. It says in Proverbs 24, 10 through 12, if you faint in the day of adversary, that means if you do nothing in difficult times, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling in the, to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we didn't know this. Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keep watch over your souls know it? And we will not repay man according or and, and, and he and he not repay man according to his work? Here's the thing do what you can with what you know. If you know that something's happening, do the right thing. Honor the Lord by doing that. We are called to do something that no one else will because we fear the Lord. We love him. We live in a modern genocide, folks. We read this story and we think, wow. Times were really bad back in the day. Who would actually conspire to annihilate a people? We don't see that today, do we? Or do we? We live in a modern genocide and everything goes undercover as if it is all right, as if it is good. Let me point a couple of things out for you, or to you. Today the unborn are being taken to death. Children are being taken and trafficked many times unto death. This is a modern genocide. There are people who are after people, Lord's people. Look at this and consider this deeply. Our families, our friends, our neighbors are being dragged towards death by the lies, perversion, and the normalization of sin. Don't make little of the things that are happening even next to us, even in our own homes perhaps. So what shall we do? What shall we do? Do we stand idle? oh we need to recognize first and foremost that we do have an adversary adversary but greater is he who is in us than he is in the world meaning the lord is of much more power of much more greatness only he is truly awesome and only he is able to do the impossible or what is perceived to be the impossible for all things are possible through our lord he is the creator of all so do the right thing according to the will of the lord Honor God above all. And these are our takeaways today if you want to go to that. Do the right thing according to the Lord. Honor God above all. Even when you cannot cross that line, even when you say, I just can't go there, make sure that you do it in a way that's honoring to the Lord. And realize that it is not about you. It's not about you. It's all about him. And so let's not go after our own self-honor, but but only that we would honor the Lord. So do not seek self-honor, but Rather, honor the Lord. And kids, this is important for all of us. I still have parents, so it applies to me as well. But kids, if you're a kid, raise your hand. I want to know that you're listening. Okay, that's a bearded kid right there. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Read this one together. Honor your father and your mother. Can you say that? One, two, three. Now this is the Lord's will for us. No question there. We must do that. Parents, let's give our children a great example of what it looks like to honor and to honor the Lord above all. In doing so, and doing, doing what we're called to do to honor others, even when we do not agree with them, being respectful for them, effectively what we will do is we'll stand against that which does not honor the Lord. God is honored in how we deal with things. God is honored in. In, in our actions or dishonored through our actions in turn and so again if you miss anything because sometimes we fail sometimes we're naughty right don't worry about it but do your best to not continue to, to follow that cycle but God is in the details and trust that he's moving in every single circumstance so the things that have happened in the past Those are of the past and the Lord will use them to grow us. That example that I gave you, as far as how I spoke to my wife, the Lord has used that. I think of that often and I have repented of that. And so we should should also repent of how we dealt with others, how we deal with folks. Biggest question that I have for you today is, are you honoring the Lord in everything that you do? And even in those disagreements that you have with others, in all things, Honor the Lord and trust that he's in the details. He's taking care of all things, even the things that seem that are hopeless and impossible. Just let him handle it. He's got it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come together and just dive into it and be challenged by it, Lord Jesus. We ask that this would not go void in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.